All right. So I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, we're now getting into that part of the book of Daniel that just begins to kind of unfold uh, the book of Revelation to us. And so if you turn your attention again to Daniel chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 15, finish this chapter before moving on next week to chapter 9. And I want to ask you a very simple question. Why do you suppose God repeats things? Because we're dumb is one good reason. Yeah, that's it. Uh, could it be that perhaps they're really important? You know, when he re- repeats things. Yeah, we, we sometimes are a little hard of hearing. And, and so tonight, what we have here in Daniel chapter 8 is we actually have the interpretation of this dream that we saw last week as we began this chapter. The interesting thing is, is that we're told in the second half, in the interpretation, who these strange beasts are, this ram, this goat, this horn. We know who they are. We're told directly in this part of the chapter. But we were also looking last time that there was an actual fulfillment in those nations because we know they were Greece. We know they were Media Persia. We know that there was a specific ruler out of the fourth leader of the Grecian Empire uh, that would come. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a real character. And the timing of all of this was given to us exactly. And so we know that insofar as the first part of the chapter is concerned, it actually happened. Why do you suppose it's getting repeated? I'm going to share with you tonight that as you look at this, very often in biblical prophecy, uh, you have a principle in play that is called, uh, really it goes by a number of different names, but dual fulfillment is one of them. Uh, Progressive uh, fulfillment is another. Uh, There are times that when the Lord speaks, he's speaking to get the attention of the people then, and he's speaking of an event that will be fulfilled later. And we certainly see this in the life of Christ. Many of the prophetic events will give you one, uh, the the virgin birth. When King Ahaz announces uh, Isaiah's son, uh, you, you see this incredible picture that there was actually a son that was born at that time, but it was prefiguring Jesus the Christ. And so there was an actual person, and then there was a picture for us later. And so what we're going to see tonight uh, is a a view into the very distant future, because as I shared with you last time, those nations that would be uh, Greece and Media Persia would come along just after this was written. That fulfillment would occur. And now he's going to interpret it, but he's going to put in some details that absolutely couldn't be fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, by the Greeks, by the Medes, by the Persians, and so they were pointing somewhere else. And so this stuff gets really exciting, if you happen to care for it. And if you don't, I hope you learn to care for it. Amen? Let's pray and ask God to speak through his word. Father, thank you that you make things so clear. God, it seems like when we get to these passages, they're almost impossible to understand. But you, by the Spirit, have revealed truth to us. And we know that these things, these events that are foretold, one day will be revealed uh, in their fullness on this earth. 
And so, God, we ask that you would speak from heaven and give us ears that are receptive to your voice. Give us hearts that are ready to learn. Help our minds to receive with gladness your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15. And then it happened here in Daniel chapter 8, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And so here we know from the first part that there was a vision that contained these animals, a ram, a goat, and that goat uh, would have those horns and One horn would be exalted above the rest and and all of the things that we saw last time. But now we're going to get a rare treat because the best way for Scripture to interpret is for Scripture to interpret itself, not just point us to maybe another passage, but how about if the angel of the Lord comes and gives that interpretation directly to the person that's seeing it? That's a good one. And that is what we have here. And suddenly there was one that stood before me having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and he called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Gabriel is one of the archangels mentioned in Scripture. You probably know him best from his appearance in the book of Luke as he announces, guess who? None other than Jesus who is the Christ. And so this is an important angel. So you can pretty much guess and guarantee that when Gabriel speaks, uh, his name actually means warrior of God or man of God. And an archangel was chiefly tasked with the announcement of the very most important things that God would want to say to humankind. And it's also interesting that there is a man that's directing this angel. Who do you suppose that is? Uh, because there's only one being in the entire universe that tells the angels what to do, and that would be God himself. And so the voice that he hears is God's voice. What he sees is a man who looks like an angel, and who that angel is is none other than Gabriel, the archangel. Make this man understand this vision. So Gabriel is now going to interpret this vision by the word of the Lord, to Daniel so that Daniel gets exactly what he's supposed to receive in its entirety. And so he begins to speak now. And so he came near where I stood, Daniel still speaking. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. And so if you remember that we looked a little bit ahead, and we know who these creatures were. We know that they were literally nations that would come up. But we're told by Gabriel that though those nations referenced as the goat and as the ram and that mouthpiece that would be that horn that would be raised up out of the Greek empire, who would come from the secluded leaders of Greece and all of a sudden begin to speak these crazy blasphemous things, we know who that guy was in about 176 B.C. or so. But now notice what's said. Sounds like he's saying something different. It refers to the time of the end. 
And now as he was speaking with me, I was in deep sleep and my face to the ground, but he touched me and I stood upright. The Hebrew that's translated there says, it says, in essence, I jumped straight up. In other words, the angel touched him and was like, what? Okay, I'm listening. I'm up now. If you've ever been woken out of a dead sleep, you know how that is? Like you're having a dream or something and somebody touches you and you're like instantly in a supernatural state of awakeness? That's the way Daniel is now. He stood straight up and he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of indignation. That word can be translated also wrath. And so we know that what's being said here is going to apply to Greece, Media Persia, and a ruler from Greece, but it's now giving us the timing of the fulfillment of it, and he's skipping over uh, a very large swath of history, and he says it's going to pertain to the latter time of indignation or wrath, for at the appointed time the end shall be. And so it becomes very clear that it's not just Greece, Media Persia, and Antiochus Epiphanes that's being spoken of here. It's sometime after that that the actual total fulfillment of this happens. The ram which you saw having two horns, and so now he goes back to the vision. So he's given us the, t- the timing before he actually gives us who these guys are. Very important, because he's trying to draw another point other than the actual literal fulfillment that was of those nations. He said, That ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king, And as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, the four kingdoms that shall arise out of one nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, notice this, when the transgressors have reached their fullness. And so there's some very definite additional details that are given. This prophetic picture has two fulfillments. It had one that occurred during the Media Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and the ruler of the one horn out of the four, Antiochus Epiphanes. But it clearly states that for its full fulfillment, it now goes on to a completely different set of criteria. It's as if the angel Gabriel has now made a sweep across time, and he's looking at a time that's very unique, and here's how we know why. A king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. Now, you could kind of look at that and go, oh, Adolf Hitler meets that. You know, you, you could say that Joseph Stalin meets that, or Pol Pot meets that criteria. You could say Kim Jong-il meets that. You could have said Saddam Hussein actually meets that criteria. But notice what else it says. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper, and thrive, 
and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. And so you're still going, okay, well, that could be Adolf Hitler. You kind of are getting it pretty narrow now. There's very few people that have ever gone after God's people, the Jews. Actually, there's only one in human history who seems to have been demonically inspired. Hitler's kind of the guy. And that's why many people for a long time believed there was a possibility that Adolf Hitler was, in fact, the Antichrist. And through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity, and he shall even rise against the prince of princes. Now we have a problem, because there's only one prince of princes. That would be Jesus Christ. He would literally rise in battle against none other than Jesus himself. But he shall be broken, notice this, without human means. In other words, there's going to be spiritual, a spiritual supernatural defeat of this guy who will rise up literally against Jesus. We're starting to now get out of our time domain, aren't we? We're starting to look at a time in history um, that hasn't happened yet. To this day. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was true. In other words, the history lesson we got last time about the death of Antiochus Epiphanes, the desecration of the temple, and the restoration of the temple was in fact true. It did in fact happen. However, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision. Notice what it says next. For it refers to many days in the future. It it refers to a future time. And I, Daniel, was fainted and was sick for days. And afterwards I arose and went about the king's business. And I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood. And so it becomes very clear that this is something other than what has already been experienced by humankind on this earth. And it is, in fact, what we refer to as a double or a dual fulfillment uh, of prophecy, uh, sometimes called a progressive dispensational view, if you want to get theologically technical. But what it means is this, is there is something that occurred in history that prefigures, foretells, points to, looks at, gives us a window of something that is yet future still. There were many of those in the Old Testament, a vast majority of the life of Christ. There are 416 prophecies in the Old Testament. Almost a third of your Bible, by the way, is prophetic in nature. 416 prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold some component part of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Most of those prefigured in some way the Lord and at the same time spoke of an event that would occur in the lifetime of the person who received it. So they could understand that God was speaking the truth, but there would be enough information given that it couldn't just be that event. And that is what we have before us tonight. This angelic being 
has the figure of a man. He looks like a man. Uh, the voice could have, you know, some people have speculated it was Elijah or it was Enoch or, you know, it could have been somebody, a, a heavenly host. But because of who he commands, he commands the archangel Gabriel, uh, I believe that leaves just one choice, and that would be God himself. So the voice of the Lord speaks to Gabriel, the archangel, and says, hey, tell Daniel what this means. Notice three phrases in this remaining chapter, remaining part of the chapter. The time of the end, the appointed time, and the time of indignation. Those are all used, figuratively speaking, in the Old Testament for exactly one event. The time of the Gentiles and the end of it. The appointed time, the time of wrath. We know it as the tribulation because we have the book of Revelation. From where Daniel was looking, he's going, what do you mean the time of wrath, the time of indignation, the time of the end? Because obviously the end of mankind hasn't happened yet. Amen? If you don't believe that, pinch yourself. You can just reach down, grab your leg, give it a good squeeze, okay? Because you're still here. The time of the end, the pouring out of God's wrath on mankind, has not occurred in the way that Scripture describes it. So what are these? These are God's designed and plan for us to understand that there is a time coming when God is actually going to deal with the wickedness of mankind. It answers the question so often asked of the Old Testament prophets, How long, O Lord, will you tarry with the wicked? How long will the wicked prosper? That's the prophetic cry of the Old Testament prophets and saints. It seemed as though evil was going to win. It seemed as though God had fallen asleep. It seemed as though God had actually looked at the world and said, I don't really care anymore. You guys do whatever you want to do. Get as evil as you want to get. And looking at our world, one could actually come to that conclusion yet still today. Amen? You look at what's going on today, it's nuts. As I shared with you some months ago, been sharing with you for a year and a half now, look at what's going on in our country. The rise of atheism is staggering. The boldness of people against the people of God and against the Word of God, and specifically against Jesus, has just escalated. We've watched the stock market tank. It's gone down six. Hundred points in one week. We're, we're seeing all these things. Europe is a mess. All of Europe right now is an absolute mess. You know what your Bible says? It's supposed to be like that. And what's going to happen at the very end is those conditions are going to be the very conditions that give rise to the Antichrist. He's going to come on the scene. Hey, look at the world. It's a mess. I mean, you guys hate each other. You're killing each other. You don't love God. You know, we got to get back to loving God. You know what? I believe that so much, I'm going to let the Jews rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Do you think Hamas is going to do that? The Israeli Defense Forces, by the way, took out one of the top Hamas leaders today in a drone airstrike driving down a street. It is not going to get peaceful there anytime soon. And Hamas, Al-Qaeda, 
And all of the Arab world is not going to stand by idly while their most holy site, other than Medina, is desecrated by a temple going up on the Temple Mount and covering up the rock from which Muhammad supposedly took his night journey to Mecca. Isn't going to happen. That's going to take somebody coming on the scene and say, you know, can't we all just give a big world hug? A group world hug. Because this has just gotten out of hand. But here's the problem. It's got to get out of hand. It's got to go to you know where in a what. It has to get bad. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And I'm not, by the way, prophesying this is going to happen tomorrow. But I am telling you that the world right now is ripe for this very guy to come on the scene. The little horn, that voice that will speak, is all that we're seeing right now is going to continue to happen and it will wax worse and worse until the days are completed. Luke chapter 21 verse 20 says this, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. And what Jesus is speaking is commonly known to us as the Olivet Discourse. He has gone out onto the Mount of Olives. The disciples ask him a question. That question, according to Matthew's Gospel, what will the signs of the times be when the end comes? This is the Lord's reply. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains and let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of that which is written. What do you think he's referring to? He's referring to the book of Daniel. He's saying, remember, I told you there was going to be a time of indignation, a time of wrath, a time of fulfillment, a time that would be the time of the end. And what he's saying is, here's how it's going to go down. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and nursing mothers, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people, speaking of the Jews. Can you think of another nation on earth that is so universally hated by virtually the whole world than the Jews? They are a nation of a scant nine million people. They have a land mass that is about the size, uh, roughly, of San Bernardino County. Now that it's all been carved up. They're surrounded completely by their enemies. Israel shelled yesterday into Syria. They bombed into southern Lebanon. They're fighting in Gaza, and they just shelled into Egypt. Saudi Arabia is the only nation, and according to the book of Isaiah, Saudi Arabia is going to stay out of it in the end. The book of Daniel is very important. Because it points to a ruler that's going to come on the scene. How dreadful that time will be. Where they will fall by the sword and be taken prisoners to all nations. Isn't it crazy how there's a global outcry against the Jewish people? 
that the UN and all of its dealings, fully one-third of the UN's time has been occupied since 1967 with basic negotiations over the nation Israel. Either condemnation, peace treaties, this little tiny sliver of land, and a very small, less than one-tenth of one percent of the population of the globe. And yet the world's eyes are focused on Israel. And it says then that Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. And notice verse 24, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, in God's economy, in his time frame, there is a time that the world is going to go nuts. They're going to go nuts and literally come against the Jewish people. And it will be when that happens that God is going to intervene and allow the rise of this world ruler who's going to come on the scene and begin to look like he's going to solve the world's problems. This gets me really excited. Here's why. There's exactly two things left in prophetic history in, in the world's time frame here on earth that must happen before the Lord returns a second time. One of those things is the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, principally 38 and 39. The other is the rapture of the church. Doesn't give us a whole lot left to do, does it? Except for the world to wax worse and worse. The reason that we know that this interpretation couldn't possibly have been Antiochus Epiphanes is he will be mighty, but not by his own power. Antiochus Epiphanes was just an evil guy. He was evil by his own power. Matter of fact, he had no support from Greece. He was just an evil guy. And so we know it wasn't him. The devastation that's announced here appears to be global. Didn't do that. It was very regional. As a matter of fact, it was in a very specific place. Furthermore, what we're seeing here is exactly what the book of Revelation describes Uh, as how the Antichrist rises in Revelation chapter 13 and in verse 2, it says the dragon, who is Satan, gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. And so from a scriptural perspective, what Daniel's actually declaring is exactly what John sees about 600 years later as he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos and is receiving a vision from the Lord that we have that's called the book of Revelation. And so this beast rises and is empowered by Satan himself. In Revelation chapter 6, it says this, And now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, talking about the sealed judgments, And the one I heard of the four living creatures saying this, that a voice like thunder said, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquer and conquering. 
Interesting that that bow has no arrows. This, this bow is a bow that is a sign of peace. It's not a sign of war. And so this white horse is not Jesus. This white horse is the Antichrist. Coming on the scene saying, hey, I got a bow, but I don't intend to use it. I'm just coming around, you know, just kind of checking out, see how the countries are doing. I noticed you could use a little help. There's been kind of some racial strife going on. There's been a little bit of religious strife going on. you got a little problem going on with your economy, and I just happen to have a plan to fix it. I think I can solve this problem. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, The coming of the lawless one. Speaking again of the Antichrist, this guy who rises up, this little horn that's prefigured in the book of Daniel in chapter 8. The one who speaks blasphemous things, who destroys, will be in the accordance of the work of Satan. Tells us exactly how he gets his power. It says that that guy, the Antichrist, will come and he will actually receive his power from none other than Satan himself. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. Now it makes sense when you think about the Rook of Revelation. Because Jesus is going to come back on a white horse too, won't he? The only thing is he's going to come in righteousness. And he's going to come specifically not to defeat Israel, but to deliver Israel. Counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders of every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Isn't that crazy? You would think that the world that's deceived would be deceived enough it wouldn't need any further deception. But as evil becomes good and good becomes evil, people can no longer discern which is which. So guess what you have to do if you want people to leap all the way over the edge? You have to unleash evil like has never been known in human history. Now, as evil as the world is, and as evil as the world has been, it can still get more evil. That's the scary thing. And what happens when you take the influence of every single Christian out of the world? What happens when the Holy Spirit no longer indwells the people of God? What happens when the world says, we don't want you, we want sin? You see, in a little way, when we look at the prodigal son, we can actually see what happens to mankind when mankind gets its way. Amen? Sounds good at first. Got all my inheritance. But you spend it on the things that won't satisfy. And before you know it, you're living in pig slop. It can get worse than pig slop. People are going to feel secure. But notice what it says. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Isn't that crazy how that is at work in the world right now? You can offer people the gospel truth. You can speak that truth into their life that God loves them and God has a plan for their life and they don't have to live that way anymore. And in spite of the evil that is at work in the world, there is a God in heaven who cares. And you can tell them the truth and you can unveil these things to them and they'll still say, you know what, don't want it. Going to keep what I got behind door number two. 
And for this reason, notice this. God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. In other words, God says, if that's how you want to live your life, if you want to continue to elect godless rulers, if you want to continue on the path that leads to the slaughter of innocence, if you want to continue to say that you can define marriage, and I don't know what I did when I defined it in the Garden of Eden, if you want to continue to go down the path that says good is evil and evil is good, if you want to go that way, get prepared for this. I am going to unleash upon you such a strong delusion that ultimately you're going to believe your own lie, and then it's going to get really bad. That is what is directly before the rise of the Antichrist. That's the way the world will begin to become. And when you look at the world, we live now, for the first time in human history, in a world where this is even possible. Because when you talk about globalism as we have it, just even think back to the Second World War. The Second World War, at the beginning of it, we were still using semaphore flags to send messages, okay? You guys know what those are? I was in Boy Scouts. They're these little flags. They have a little square on them. And depending on where you held them, they made all of the letters of the alphabet. And we would have guys stand on a tower on one side of the beach. In fact, at D-Day, we actually had semaphore signal corps on on the beach sending flags, messages back and forth. We did not have, as our high school students today, they don't even talk to each other. They're ten feet from each other down the hall. Hey, dude, what's up? You see, the global things that we have now did not even exist 60 years ago, much less 2,600 years ago. The capacity for us to even understand how these things would unfold on the world stage did not exist except in this generation that's currently alive. And so could it last for a while longer? Certainly. God puts periods and commas where he wants. But we, for the first time, have the capacity to say the world is looking for a global ruler. Next thing we have to realize, we now live in a world where Israel occupies the land and they speak the Jewish language. According to the book of Ezekiel, that has to happen before the end comes. It's done. It's happened. So we now are set, if you will, for these things to to occur. The other thing that we know, as we discussed last week... Antiochus Epiphanes, when he came on the rise, he he eventually died in about 163 B.C. And the reason we know that is his exact method of death was given to us in the first book of Maccabees. We're even told that Judas Maccabees drove out the Syrian army and how he did it. So we historically know that all of this evil never got unleashed yet. It didn't happen. It was a regional conflict. It involved the Jews in a very small group of people, from their perspective, probably seemed like it was the whole world, but it certainly was attributable to the power of a man. And so the Prince of Prince will be uh, the guy that is, that is fought against. And that's the issue, isn't it? Isn't it the issue of salt and light against darkness? 
Isn't it, the, isn't it the real battle that's being fought today? As I shared with you before the election, I really believe that we, we saw a continental divide, if you will, uh, of opinion in this world as to which side you're going you're gonna to be on. And that's not Republican and Democrat, by the way. That's salt and light and darkness. That's choosing life over death. That's choosing to give all people the exact same rights or to exclude some. And so the time is given. And I won't belabor it, but these 2,300 mornings and evenings, let me suffice to say this, that there are about as many opinions as you can possibly get as to how that works out given the tribulation period. Let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to give you the words of Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, pick up in verse 29. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is a lot of people waste a lot of time setting dates and times and trying to figure out the minutia of when the Antichrist is going to come and when these things are going to happen. And they say, well, by, you know, March 12th of 2077, it's got to happen because, you know, I've got this calculator and it's a special, it's a Jesus calculator. I got it on TV and it says right here, if you plug in all the right verses, it'll tell you when the Antichrist is going to come and tell you who he is. It's Barney. You know, I don't know who it is. Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So it tells us very specifically about what time we are talking about immediately after the tribulation. So after the rapture of the church, after the rise of the Antichrist, after the tribulation occurs, after the world has seen devastation like it's never seen, according to the book of Revelation, that roughly two-thirds, if not three-quarters, of the entire population of the world will be dead, D-E-A-D. That, by the way, has not ever happened. So after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all of the tribes of earth will mourn, for they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That has not happened yet. When Jesus was here the first time, he left. Amen? He has not yet come back. So we know, even today, that this is future. We know it hasn't happened. We already have enough detail to know that. And he will send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds. So speaking of those who were saved during the tribulation time, who were not martyred for their faith, those saints will be gathered together with the ones who were martyred from one end of heaven to the other. And now learn this parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you'll know that its summer is near. And so you also, when you see these things, and so it's giving us a picture of looking for a time when you see these things. In other words, there's things that we know when the leaves begin to turn. Amen? We get this really easily. You go out, you're walking out to your car, it's dark, you haven't quite, the sun hasn't come up, and all of a sudden you're on your back. And you realize you possess an oak tree. And the ball bearings have fallen, and they're on, you know it's fall, amen? That's how we know it's fall. It's like, I just landed on my backside in my driveway, don't know what happened, it must be fall. A little bit later, when there's no leaves, 
and you do the same thing, it must be winter, because that was ice. You, you can tell the times and the seasons, amen? No leaves on the trees, that means it's fall verging on winter. We know the time. That's why he says this. And so you also, when you see these things, what things? All of the things previously mentioned, not the withered leaves, the devastation, the people that have gone nuts, the stars falling from heaven, the craziness of everything that Jesus has already said. When you see these things, know that the that it's near the door. For assuredly, I say to you that this generation, the generation that sees that, not the generation that was alive at Jesus' time, but the generation that has seized the accumulation of everything that he has just spoken come about. Earthquake, famine, on a global scale. Read the whole passage. You'll begin to get the picture. He's saying, when you see that happen, this generation will by no means pass away until all of these things take place. In other words, once it starts... It's going to move from its start to its finish in a very rapid time frame. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. And here's the clincher. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, and so it will be when the Son of Man comes. And so Jesus himself says, listen guys, you are not going to know the exact timing You're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour. So if you can do any math, hear me well, if you can do any math and come up with what you think is the exact date of the tribulation or the rapture or any of the other prophetic events that are named in the Bible, that is proof positive you haven't got a clue. Because Scripture says you can't know. So believe what it says. Stop trying to figure out when it is, but rather do what Jesus said and says, look and see what's on the trees. See how close it is. Because when you see all of these things happen, you're close. That's why we care about what God's word says in the prophetic portions. We know we're close. Closer than we have ever been closer than Jesus and the disciples really could even have a view of. It says, God the Father only knows. And so as we begin to apply these things, we know that ultimately the prince of princes and the false prince, the little horn, are going to come and do battle one with another. I can tell you what your Bible says about who wins. Just read the end of the book. Read from chapter 19, chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. You're going to go, yay, God, because he wins, okay? Just telling you the end of the story. So as you look at those things, some people are going, oh, I just can't believe it. Here's why you don't have to worry. Let me tell you why you don't have to worry, because you can make it so you don't have to see all those things. 
All you need to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you don't have to worry about it. And then you go tell everybody else about Jesus, and when they receive Christ as their Savior, they don't have to worry about it, because again, your Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians 4 9, for he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. So we ain't going to be around when all this goes down. The only thing that we get to see is the ramp up to the end. We get to see the birth pangs, Jesus said. Some of us might be around to see that. We might, we might get to see the things that approach that time that you look at and go, man, this is kind of getting not so good. Family of God, that day's coming when the trumpet's going to sound. And the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And all you need to do to be part of the crowd that goes with Jesus is to receive and believe. That's it. It isn't a club, not a book, isn't a class. It's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God is to be saved. I believe that this is a picture for us that skips right over the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes and takes us right to the reign of the Antichrist himself. Because of when it talks about the time of God's indignation, the time of his wrath, the end of time. That time's coming. I don't know whether it's Tomorrow? That's why I shared with you, it's so important that you realize from a prophetic picture, from what your Bible says, there are exactly two things left that have to happen. And one of them can happen during the tribulation. And that would be the the Gog-Magog battle described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So if there's only two things left, and we see the world getting all globally on us, we we watch the world scene and we go, man, Europe's falling apart, America's falling apart, China's never been together. The whole world's going, man, we need some global solutions right here. And you have our newly elected, re-elected president going, you know, I really think we ought to pay more attention to the U.N. He just said that today, by the way. You know, we've been acting kind of uh, unilaterally on our own accord, and it's probably time that we join together with the global community. When you start saying those kind of things, and you realize the trouble that the world's in, What I do is I look at my Bible and go, yay, we're close. Very close. And your Bible says there's nothing that precedes the rapture of the church. It could happen in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Done. Because Israel does not have to be back in the land, they're already there. That had to happen. Because they're speaking one language, that's already happened. 
because the whole world will come against them, already happened. Because all of the nations surrounding them will be at war with them, already happened. It's going on right now. You might get to hear a little trumpet solo from heaven. Hallelujah. But in the meantime, you know what our job is? To tell people about Jesus. To make sure there isn't anybody you know. Nobody that you even kind of, sort of, don't really even like, but they live near you. Should know about Jesus. The good news, the gospel. You know, God says that there in Second Corinthians chapter 6, For in the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and today is the day of salvation. That's the message. Today's the day of salvation. I don't know when this is going to happen. I just know that when I look out, the trees are empty of leaves. I know when I look out, I see the birth pangs of the things that Scripture says will happen right before the Lord comes. For the first time in human history. Now, will it necessarily mean that tomorrow, tonight, the trumpet will sound, rapture of the church? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just simply means it could happen. And when you know something is imminently possible, don't you change the way you live? Think about it for a second. If you knew this week was your last week on earth, wouldn't you live a little differently? I would. I guarantee you I would. I for sure wouldn't go to work. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Who needs it? Stay at home. <laughs> Calling in sick. I don't know. <laughs> Calling in really well if you're a Christian. But you'd live differently, wouldn't you? That's how we are as the body of Christ. We know some things that the world desperately needs to know. And we know that those things could happen in your very next breath. That should make you extremely excited about telling people about Jesus. Because there isn't anything else that can save them. There's, there's no global plan that will save them. There's no association of nations. Texas seceding from the Union because they're a republic will not save us, though I'm all for it. Not really, but when you, when you think about it, there are a lot of people looking for answers, aren't they? You realize if you're a Christian, you have the answer? You have the answer. It's that Romans road. It's the gospel. It's, you can look at it really like the ABCs, by the way. The first thing you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. That's the A. You admit you're a sinner. There's none righteous, not one. It's that Romans 3 thing. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have to admit that you're a sinner. So if you want to spread the gospel, all you've got to do is tell people the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. The second thing you have to do is believe. Romans 4, Romans 8. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, period. A is admit, B is believe, and C, you have to confess. You have to say, you know what, Lord, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. That is Romans 10. That's Romans 10 in its entirety for the most part. So you just tell them the ABCs. You know what? It's real simple to, to believe in Jesus. 
You have to admit you're a sinner. You have to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to confess that you have sinned against God. That's it. And if you do that, you don't need to worry about whether this was Antiochus Epiphanes or the Antichrist. Because you ain't going to get to see either one of them. Antiochus is dead, and the Antichrist is going to come on the scene after you're long gone. Amen? Get excited about prophecy. Amen? (laughs) You guys got to see this. It's like, Lord, take us up. Get us out of here. In the meantime, tell people the ABCs. Amen? Now, if that's you, you squeezed in tonight, you don't know Jesus, I'm going to have some guys up front. We'll be right here. We'll pray with you because it it's that simple. It's accepting. It's believing. It's confessing. That's all. The rest of it is God's work in you that is the hope of glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now. If there's somebody here tonight that's never received the grace of God, they've never acknowledged that they were a sinner, never accepted that grace gift, They've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Lord, are showing them right now by your spirit who you are. And God, they've never confessed that they're a sinner. They didn't even know what sin was maybe before tonight. God, we pray that you'd reach into hearts and minds. God, if there's someone here, I pray, God, that before they leave this building, that today is that appointed time of salvation. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word, that it gives us this picture ahead of time. We know what's going to happen. God, we're grateful for that because it it helps us to have purpose and meaning and to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for this time tonight. Strengthen us, Lord, in that resolve to spread the good news of the gospel. We bless you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus because He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one gets to the Father but by Him. Be up front if you want to pray. It's that simple.